Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and speak your word into everyone's heart today. Even those who heard this already and those who are going to hear it for the first time, God, may it be fresh in our hearts. May it sound in our hearts, God, bringing fresh hope in Jesus' name. Help me to say what you want to say, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of the message uh, this afternoon is The Winds of Change. The Winds of Change change. How many of you like change in your lives? Some people don't like change sometimes. If there's ever change, some people don't like change. But I really believe, and on Tuesday night last week, if you were here for the worship evening, we had an amazing time. Are you hot there, Mandy? <laughs> we had an amazing time. As God, as we worship God, God began to speak into the church and it was so special and you could sense in the atmosphere. And I really felt that God is bringing us into a season. And I've been feeling this for a while of a real change in a change in our hearts, a change in what He wants to do in, in our lives, but also changing this church as well. I, I'm, I'm not a person who likes to always stay with the way we're doing things. I'm always up for God doing new stuff. Because I really believe God is a creative God. If He created the world then he's got the ability to do new things all the time. He's really creative. I come from a creative background. My background is design and media. And, and from understanding that, I always like to think of new ideas. So I believe God, if he, if he put that gift in me and he is a creator, then he's a God of change. He likes to do things and try things different. So we should always be open to what God's going to do and shifting things in our life. And I really see that that's what's happening for us at the moment. It may, not, it may not be for a while, but we have to ride with, I believe, that wind of change. I want us to look today, and I just want to give a little, set the scene really for the story, but many of you would know in, the, in 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18, the famous story of Elijah and uh, declaring the, the years of drought that's going to come upon the, the nation at the time, and around the 8th century BC, he, he declares this and through that period, we have two characters at the same time, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who are also very much against uh, God. They're beginning to try and they're setting the scene of killing the prophets of God and to allow, trying to draw people to worship a, a God which you may have heard of called Baal and another one, a Asherah God. And in, in 1 Kings 18, 17 and 18, as we see this story uh, going through, we see the scene which I call a great showdown uh, at Mount Carmel, where Elijah wants to prove that the God of the Bible, the God that you, hopefully you and me believe in, uh, the God of the Bible is alive and he's real and he can cause fire to come down from heaven onto an altar and prove that he is the true and living God. We know that story. I, I used to hear it when I was younger about that and, and Elijah calling down the fire and also the fact that he even poured four uh, jugs or whatever of water onto this altar to see, to even make it harder for God 
to let God prove himself above these other prophets. He says that that day called uh, 450 prophets of Baal and, four, and 400 prophets of Asherah to come to the mountain at, Car- at this Mount Carmel to see this great contest. And I find that amazing. That's 850 people against him. 850 people who believe that their God was, their, was the one. How many of you know that today in our society, it feels like lots of the voices are against us and we're a minority? Well, the Bible does say that the, wide is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the road that leads to life. I believe that all the way until Jesus comes, there's always going to be a sense of persecution and narrowing of the road. We're going to see God's glory poured out. But in a sense, there's going to be this, this persecution. I was saying to someone earlier that... If you look in the Bible, persecution and pressures that come upon the church always expanded the church. So persecution actually allowed expansion. And so we've always got to be open to when when things happen, when we feel in our lives like there's trouble ahead or there's problems in the church, let me tell you something, that when pressures come, Jesus is up to something. (laughs) Did you know that? Or did you sometimes look at it a different way? Some of us can look at the problems and say, ah, everything seems to be falling apart. But I believe God, when he begins to change and shift things, the enemy doesn't like it. He gets angry. And right here and now, we see this amazing story. These two altars. And he calls down fire from heaven. And God proves himself in front of all of these prophets. And then it says that all the prophets were slaughtered. They were killed. And so at the end of this story, you would say, what a victory. We have seen our God prove himself above what the world is saying. This is the God we want to serve. Now these prophets are dead. Look who's, look who's laughing now, Jezebel. Look who's laughing now, King Ahab. And we would have that attitude. But I find it very interesting what happens next. Because after this amazing experience, and we're going to come to read it just in a moment, but I want to set that scene for you. We're going to look at what happens just after he's seen the firefall. This amazing demonstration of power. You'd think he would be on top of the world. But you'll actually find that what happens is he begins to go into a, into a season of depression. And something happens. Let's just read what it says. 1 Kings 18, verse 39. When all the people saw this, that's this demonstration on on Mount Carmel. They fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let any get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to King Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Now he's beginning to tell him it's the end of the drought. This three and a half year drought that he'd also prophesied to prove God. That God was in control of the elements. Because by the way, if you read about the the Baal God, you'll see that the Baal God they saw as someone. One of his names was the God of the thunderstorms. He was a God of someone they believe would bring the rain. So now he says, I hear, he says, go eat and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel 
bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, at this moment, I'm just going to interject there because at this moment, he's seen God do an amazing demonstration of power. He's now, it says, even by the power of God, he's able to go faster than Ahab's chariot. He is on a winner. You'd say he's having a good time. He has seen the glory of God. He's seen the fire of God. Now he's in the power of God, moving at momentum to Jezreel. And then chapter 19, it all seems to go wrong. Verse 1, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me before it's ever be, sorry, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that, like that of one of them. In other words, I'm going to kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down, lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat eat for the journey is too much for you so he got up and ate and drank strengthened by that food he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God I want to just say one thing before I move on I find I find it very interesting when I see stories like this of someone moving in such momentum to a point where they want to take their life. Let me tell you that depression is a big thing in this world today. I used to know a doctor uh, many years ago in Cambridge. He still lives here. And he would tell me, I may have mentioned this before, but he would tell me that majority of the people he would meet each day were suffering from depression. That was most of his cases. And many of us today, we can go through seasons of we have seen God move in great power, demonstrations. We have been in some of the best meetings. We've heard God speak. We've seen some powerful things. We've seen some healings. But ultimately, we find that one day we can feel on top of the world and another we can feel so depressed. 
Some of us think sometimes that, is this really what Christianity is about? Would God allow me to feel like that and then have such a good time? I believe that it's actually, Christianity is far deeper than an experience anyway. And that is just one key thing. But one thing you find here that's very interesting is that when Elijah goes through this, in chapter 19, everything changes. And in chapter 19, notice something. He is discouraged. He wants to take his life. He's depressed. And when the angel comes to help him, the angel tells him to get up and eat. Okay? Now, you think about what he told Ahab to do when he was on top of the world. He said, go and eat. All of a sudden, he's now been told to do the very thing that he told him to do when he was on top of the world. Sometimes you're giving advice to people, strengthening people, feeling encouraged. Then one minute you feel like you're the victim. All of a sudden God's saying to you, you need to get up and eat. You need to be strengthened. Some of us today need to realize that it's not always easy to be a Christian. But I'm telling you something, to be in God's arms, to run to him. The end of that story, and we're going to go through this, is that he runs to God. He runs to God. We sung today, and I know we sing it quite a lot, but I love the song, King of My Heart. And I, and I was looking at the words this morning, and he said, which mountain do we run to? Where is the mountain we run to? The fountain we drink from. And I really believe in this season we're in, when you're finding it really difficult and challenging as, as God begins to stir our hearts and pushes and advances into the things he's got for us, listen to me, you've got to know the mountain you're running to. You've got to know the fountain you're drinking from. Because God wants to change us, but sometimes it's difficult and the enemy's going to attack. You've got to know the mountain you're running to. Okay? Number one today, I want to just bring a few points just to bring out what I believe. If you just take me down a little bit, that'll be good. Thank you. Just a few things that I believe that Elijah does in order to maintain the change that God has in store for them. The first is this, it's perseverance. Change is found in your perseverance. It doesn't change, does not come from a dramatic event at the top of Mount Carmel. That is one thing to see God move. It's one thing to see a, a, a great Tuesday evening of deeper worship and as pressing in and God's presence comes and we're like, wow, this is amazing. That's all we need to do. Just keep going back to Mount Carmel and having some special times. It's not all about that. What God wants you to do, he wants you to have the presence, get to know the power of God so it will change your life on Monday morning. So that when you go your daily, uh, your daily lives, you are actually moving in the power of the Spirit. And you're changed from the inside out. And you're able to persevere through the problems of life. I'll never forget when someone said to me, I just became a Christian. And I said to him, he, he prayed for me. And I thought, I felt this relief. It was my Mount Carmel experience. I, 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 I remember it to this day. This amazing presence of God coming upon me. It was like electricity. I've never had it as much since like that. But it was like electricity moving through my body. And afterwards I said to this man, I said, this is amazing. And he said this to me. He said, yeah, but remember, expect some problems. I thought, well, I don't want that. I want this feeling again. And he said this. He says, all I want you to do is remember this, Phil. He was an elder in the church at the time. And he said this. He was a young man. He said, Phil, what you've got to remember is in life is that you're going to get problems. But Jesus does not remove the problems. He helps you to hurdle the problems. 
He helps you to get over things. And it's true. Don't ever expect that Jesus just removes stuff out of your way. He gives you ability to persevere and hurdle them. Persevere. Why do I say this? Well, what you find is this. Elijah's at the bottom of the mountain now. Now he's down from Mount Carmel level to ground level. Now he's at ground level. He's just seen 850 prophets killed. You would think that you, God is on your side. I'm on the winning side. But then all of a sudden, it says, the next thing it says, he hears the sound of heavy rain. Now his promise in his heart is, I've just seen fire fall. I hear in my heart that if fire can fall, I know that rain can fall and end this drought. Now you'd think in his mind, he would be thinking, I'm just rejoicing at what God's doing here. If only God would just start making it rain now. But it says he hears in his heart the sound of heavy rain. What does he do? He doesn't say, God, I hear the sound, so I'm just going to sit back and watch and let it rain. No, it says the next thing he does in verse 42, he says, Elijah then climbed to the top of Carmel. So now he climbs back up the mountain again. The next thing he says, he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. I find it very interesting that after God's just released this sound of heavy rain in his heart, he can't see it, but he knows it's coming. The next thing he does is he perseveres for this. So he says, I'm going to climb to the top of the mountain. I'm going to push into the change that God's going to bring. He's going to end this drought. And by the way, there's some of you right now in this room have been in a season of drought. You've been in a season where the land in your heart has been cracked, dry, and you need God to bring some nourishment again into your life. And what God is saying is it's not going to come from a prayer at the front. It's going to come when you persevere and press into the promise I've put within you. You've got, to, you've got to climb up your Mount Carmel again. You've got to go back to the place where you saw the demonstration. Believe God for another demonstration that He's going to do it again. Hallelujah. I, I shared this this morning. I, 22 years ago, and I was reminded by young Laura. She's not here this afternoon. I said, 22 years ago, she shouted out. She said, that was when, she's there hiding on the sound desk. I said, 22 years ago, I got this trophy. By the way, it was marvelous. We were talking about competition yesterday. That's the trophy I've got, my friend. I've only got one. 22 years ago, he was trying to beat me yesterday at bowling. Laura shouts out. She says, that's when I was born. Dear me. This picture up here is when it's, it's from how I received this. In 1995, July 1995, I set out on a quest to raise some money for multiple sclerosis for a young, a young man at the time who was, who was dying, obviously. And um, what we wanted to do is raise money. We decided to cycle from Edinburgh Castle to a place called Conisborough Castle, which is near Rotherham. So it's not as glorious and as glamorous as Edinburgh, let me tell you. But we wanted to set off and ride this ride. It was 300 miles in three days, 100 miles a day. And all I'd ever done is, is practice 100 miles in one day and never got up and done it a second time. So to do this was a big challenge. I didn't know what was going to happen. And on the way up, we drove all the way through the route up with the team in a van. And I'll never forget driving past this point because I think we got out of the van and looked at the stone division, the, the rock that's on the Northumbrian border to Scotland and England. And so we got out and looked and realized that that's where we would ride past on the way back. And so we set off, we looked at that, and then on the way back, we ride all the way through Scotland, and we get to this point, and here we are, there, there's me on the right, happy and smiling. 
and I was really tired. And uh, we were with the team there, and we got to this rock, and we took a picture because we'd reached the milestone that we'd seen in the van on the way up there several days before. The thing is, at that point, that wasn't to receive this. I knew at the end of this race there was going to be a whole line of photographers, our sponsors at the castle, and they were going to present us with this. We were going to get our photo in the newspaper. I knew all that was coming. I knew the joy of what was coming this amazing day when I would receive this. The thing is, when I got to this, it was a milestone. It was something that I'd already seen in the car on the way up to Scotland that when I got back on the bike, I realized I'm going somewhere. I'm still on the road to this trophy. And I want to tell you today, there are some people in here that God is beginning to show you little milestones and saying, son, daughter, keep persevering for what you're pushing for because you know the trophy's coming. You know the day's coming when I'm going to change your circumstance. I'm going to change this. I'm going to change that. And I'm not always a God who's going to reveal everything at once. But one thing I can tell you, son, one thing I can tell you, daughter, is this. Is that the milestones, the little signs that you get, hold on to these because these are the things that are going to remind you of what's to come. You see, God loves to change things. And he wants to change things in your life. But when it's not changing at your speed that you want, you've got to keep persevering. And Elijah, he perseveres at the mountain. Why? Because he knows God can do it again. He knows that he can do what he did with the fire. He can do with the rain. The fire was a milestone for the actual drought. The end of the drought. It was a milestone. If God can bring fire and lick up water and remove it, he can be the one who sends the rain and ends the drought. The sound of the rain was in his heart, in his, in his mind and his heart. He knew God was going to bring this. I want to tell you something today. Inside my heart, there is a sound. There is a sound that something good is about to happen. That God is up to something. That God is doing something. And you might not hear that sound, but I hear the sound. And I know because I know the sound. I know in the past when God's began to do things. And I've seen, I've seen some moves of God, by the way, in this place. I've seen God move. Not in this church and in other churches as well. But there's a sound. And you've got to get plugged into that sound. And start believing that change is coming. And it's for the good. I want him to change me and rock me and shake me and do whatever he wants. Get rid of the rubbish. You want revival? He will shake you for revival. He'll get rid of some stuff. He'll get rid of your logic. He'll get rid of some rubbish. He cannot move on people who are full of logic and and their ways of thinking is this is the only way it's going to be. God loves people who are free to receive what he's got. And I'm always open for that. We've got to push for everything. Anthony Evans, a MBA chaplain, National Basketball Association chaplain for over 30 years. He said this quote up here. You can't have part-time faith and expect a full-time victory. Some of us want to live part-time Christians. We're saying, I'm not really giving it all. I'm not going to persevere for this. And you find some of these people, they'll show up when God's moving. 
They'll show up when you're having your full-time victory and say, praise God, it's here. The sound is here. But I want to tell you, you've got to keep persevering when you hear a sound that they can't hear. You've got to keep pushing forward. James 2.17 says, faith without action is dead. There needs to be action upon our faith. Believing, persevering, climbing the mountain. He hears the sound. He doesn't sit at the bottom and say, God, send the rain. He climbs the mountain, gets on his knees. There has to be action in our faith. How can we see this change? See, Elijah's reverence for God followed his experience of God. He gets on his knees. Why? Because he's seen an experience. He's seen something. Now it brings to reverence. Experience always demands a greater reverence of God. Did you know that? Every greater experience you have will always demand greater reverence. Every time I see God do something amazing, I'm thinking, it doesn't make me think I'm great. It makes me think I'm small. He's great. More reverence. (laughs) More reverence to him, the one who's doing this. And thank God he uses a foolish vessel like me. Someone who's broken. Someone who's messed up. Someone who's weak. Raya's laughing. It's true. I once said to Lee Tilbury, I said, you know, we, I said, we're, we're like treasures in jars of clay. He says, I know, we're all crackpots. <laughs> we are. Thank God he puts his treasure in jars of clay. Keep pressing in and be reverent to him. If you want to see change, then you need to change. If you want to see change, you've got to change. Oh, no, but I want change. I hear the sound. Just No, he wants us to change. And some of us sometimes in our lives, we've got sins and things going on, secret sins, things happening in our lives that we're not willing to change. We've got it in our head that it's okay to live like that. We live in this hyper grace mentality of it's okay to do whatever we want to do because Jesus paid the price on the cross, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But let me tell you, that is not the message of the cross. It's a perversion of the message of the cross. I believe in grace, but I also believe in holiness. We've got to be holy. We've got to live holy lives. Apostle Paul said this in Romans 13, 14. He said, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The New King James Version says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an action required. We put on Jesus. We don't think about how to gratify the sins in our lives, the desires we have. There's an action required on our lives to make change. Okay? You want to see change? Then put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have the same mindset as Christ. Renew your mind to Christ. It takes action for change. So persistence, perseverance is key. He climbs to this mountain. And I want to tell you, if you want to see change, you've got to persist. Some of you have got to persist in rejecting some of the, the temptations that you have. So that God can bring the change he wants. Number two is this, is change is found in your resistance. It's not only in your persistence, it's your resistance. You see, what happens next is this. He, he goes to the top and he gets to the top of Mount Carmel and he begins to pray. And when he prays, he sends his servant to look for the rain. And it's at this moment now, he's put all his persistence. He's now tired. He's just killed 850 prophets. He's had a busy day. 
He's seen fire fall. He's trusted God. Now, he's, he's, he's climbed to the top of the mountain. If it were me, I'd be setting up my tent and having a little rest. But now he's pressed into God, seeking God for the rain. Then he says to his servant, go and look now for the rain. He sends the servant. The servant looks. And the first thing the servant comes back and says is, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Seven times it says he sends him back to have a look. Until eventually on the seventh time, the servant returns and says, I see a cloud the size of a fist of a hand rising above the sea. I want to ask you a question. If you're on a mountain and you look out to the sea, you'd find it very hard to see a cloud the size of a fist. I don't know if he was just telling Elijah just to make him be quiet. You know, I saw saw something. Blue skies. And he sees this tiny little size of a cloud. And he keeps saying to Elijah, there's nothing there. He sends him back. There's nothing there. There are people in your life, you know, that you've got to resist, that sometimes seem like godly people. This was his servant, by the way, who come back and say and give a report that will change you if you're not careful on what you believe in God for. You see, Elijah, he'd heard it in his heart. He heard the sound of change. He heard the sound of the rain. He didn't see it. He heard the sound. So he says to his servant, I want you to go and look for what I've heard and I'm praying for and I'm believing God for. And when his servant comes back and says, Elijah, I wouldn't bother if I were you. Let's just go back down. There's nothing there. Seven times. God likes seven. It's a perfect number. Seven times. Sends him back. Some people in your life will come to you and try to distract you from what God has put in your heart. They'll say nothing is changing. Nothing is happening. There is no change here. There is nothing going on. And you can either listen to the voices of negativity. And you can listen to the voices that say there's nothing happening here. There's nothing happening in this church. God's not moving here. But let me tell you, I still hear a sound. I don't care what anyone else says. And you're saying, what's coming? I don't know what's coming because he's the creator. I didn't design it. But I want what he has. We've got to start to be a church that gets excited about it and starts to speak. Even when we don't see things, speak out what we hear in our hearts. When I'm preaching you today, you've got to start saying, oh, I'm not. You ain't got to say in your heart, oh, I'm not sure. Come on, Steve. You aren't going to say, I'm not sure I'm getting what he's saying. You've got to be bir- something birthed in your spirit that the fire of God begins to get hold of you. And you begin to say, do you know what? I want to hear the sound and I'm going to press in. I'm going to press in for God to do something amazing. You see, when there's an army like that, amen. when there's an army like that that's rising up, that's desiring for God to do something special, let me tell you what will happen. He will do it. Everyone's saying, oh, I, I'm waiting for him to come. I was in a meeting the other week. Someone says, we've been praying for revival for years. I thought, well, go and do something about it then. You can't just pray for revival. You be revival. You don't pray for revival and just do nothing. You be revived. 
you be revived. You say, I'm not going to be this negative person anymore. I'm not going to be this person that says this is not happening. There's nothing happening at King's Church. Nothing's happening. You've got to start saying to yourself, there is a sound. And I know what you're probably thinking. Why is he shouting? I'm shouting to get it into your spirit. I don't like shouting. I always go home on a Sunday with a sore throat. (laughs) But I want to encourage you today. There's a sound. Don't let the devil tell you any different. There's a sound. And we need to be resistant to the enemy that also works through people to tell you that nothing's happening here he was a servant of God but yet he kept coming back seven times he kept saying come on go and have another look till you see it and then he sees it persistence I put here is for your victory will always require your resistance to negativity he said there's nothing here go and have another look he comes back and reports this small cloud Elijah could have thought, a tiny cloud the size of a hand of a fist? The fist? This, sounds, this doesn't sound like I, I heard. It's not as big as what I thought. But I want to tell you, great blessings always arise from small beginnings. Great blessings always arise from small beginnings. What you may think is insignificant sometimes and not worth working for. I'm believing for this place. This place ain't big enough for us. Why? Because God wants... Why? It's not because we're looking for a mega church. It's because we're supposed to be calling in and reaching the lost. And the lost in this city is far greater than 190 seats. I've said it plenty of times. If you think this, this is it, this is not it. You shouldn't even think about what even physical size building you want. You should just keep going for kingdom and letting God provide the net. Just keep letting him provide the net that, that gives you the ability to reach the people of our city. And also remember that there's plenty of other good nets in this city. Other good churches. Brilliant churches that God can send, to, send people to. And I believe that when God is going to do something special here, he's going to do it specially in other churches too. We've got to pray for other churches. Pray for them. This morning we had leaders of... Um, another, in fact, do you know what? I know we've got them present today. We've got two sets of leaders in our congregation here who've led churches for years in this city and around this city. This morning we had another set of leaders who lead another big church in this city who've come here for a rest. Isn't God good that he is using lots of different people? And I want to tell you guys, what you've done for the kingdom of God, never underestimate the lives, what you've touched. Never underestimate it. Because this is not the end for you. God has got greater things in store. And we, we honor you today for your service. And you know who you are. We honor you. How many years have you been serving the Lord and in ministry in Cambridge? How many years? 35 years. And, and you're at the back for Ely Christian Fellowship? 35 years. 70 years of ministry. 70 years of ministry. I sat in this room have been serving for the kingdom of God. I've only done four and I'm tired. You tie me out. So I honor you. 
And I love having people around me that have served and the wisdom and maturity in that. And we honor you. The Bible says we honor people. And I don't think I'm any big shot. I think I'm learning. I'm a little shot. <laughs> Literally and spiritually. Mandy, stop laughing. By the way, tell people we have a lot more fun in the second service. <laughs> Praise God. It's good to honor people, isn't it? But you know, you'll have gone through seasons where you've seen small things, believing God. We've got to believe God for great things. I'm lost now. Come on, the sound is coming. As soon as Elijah hears this sound and sees this, he proclaims it. Now he says, in verse 44 to 45, he says, go and tell King Ahab. In other words, he says to his son, he says, right, go and tell him now. It's coming. The rain is coming. He declares it with his mouth. So he speaks out now what the, he's, he's heard the sound in his heart. He's seen a little milestone again. So he's now seen his next little milestone, the, 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 the size of a cloud. But he tells his servant, he says, now go and tell Ahab. You'd think that his servant would be thinking, are you crazy? There's a tiny cloud about this big. How can that be rain? But he says, go and tell him. And I believe in the power of proclamation. I believe in the power of decreeing things into being. I believe the power of when you start speaking things and start speaking positively and not negatively. And start saying, I believe God is going to do this and I prophesy this into being. I said, God, release more people. Release people, workers. Send in the workers into this place. If we begin to speak it out, God will do it. Come on. So he says, go and tell him. And I want you to grab this, because verse 45 is a very, very special moment. Because verse 44, he says, go and tell him. Go and tell him that this little cloud is going to be a major, major storm. And then verse 45, it says, meanwhile, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Before, Je before Ahab could even get going on his chariot, the hand-sized fist of a cloud had turned into dark clouds. You remember when you saw the last storm come in. For it to change from this to a black clouds and a storm so quickly, God is a miracle working God. And I want to tell you, there are some people here who need to know this. Get this in your spirit today. There is a meanwhile over your life, okay? While you believe in God and you can only see something small and a small milestone, God's saying there is a verse 45. There is a meanwhile. If you've ever watched those programs on TV where they split the screen and you see two different scenes taking place at the same time, in life, we only ever see one scene. But God wants to remind you today that while you're living your life and believing God for Him, while you're believing for change and only seeing the small hand size, meanwhile, meanwhile, meanwhiles come when you speak it out. Meanwhiles come when you say, Go and tell Him now, it's coming. But it's not. No, go and tell him it's coming. The moment he goes and tells him, the meanwhile happens. You've got to get into this thinking that actually when you start to believe it and you can't see it, meanwhile. Meanwhile. The answer came. 
then what happens? He's resisted the negativity. He's resisted this and he's now seeing the rainfall. Oh, here it comes again. I've resisted the negativity of my friend who told me it wasn't coming. I'm, I'm persevering. I'm resisting. Now what's going to happen next? The rain's going to fall. It's all going to be amazing and glorious. Queen Jezebel's just going to bow her knee towards me. But what happens next is this. First Kings 19.3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. What? Come on, you've just slayed 850 prophets. You've seen fire fall in front of these. Now you've seen rain turn from a small cloud to a major storm within minutes, probably. You've seen all of this. Why is it that he ran for his life? I'll tell you why. It's because she put a death warrant on his life. She said, I'm not having this. You've killed my prophets. I am going to kill you. Queen Jezebel was out to kill him. It's amazing sometimes what you can have victories over 850 people, but one voice can destroy you. There's 850 people can be destroyed. You've had a major victory and you think you're so strong in God. And then all of a sudden one person comes says one negative thing against you and it feels like it's not you back 500 miles. Come on, you know it. We've all had them. One voice. Why is it, God, that I was so successful and strong in, in, in defeating those prophets, proving you, and now I feel like running for my life? Why one voice, God? I'll tell you why. Because sometimes the enemy can use one voice to pierce the very weakness that you've got. And if he can pierce the weakness you've got, he can try and destroy you and cause you to run away from the, the, the change that he has in store. You see, he was believing for change. Now he's running for his life. See, mountaintop experiences always prepare us for ground level. They prepare you for what's going to happen down at the bottom. When he had the mountaintop experience at Carmel, he's now got to get ready for what God is going to do in him at ground level. Elijah was surprised and Jezebel began to pursue him. We need to be alert to the enemy in the weak times. When you're weak and you're feeling weak, he's now, he's walked up Carmel, he's been back down, he's been up and down so many times like a yo-yo. He's killed the prophets, he's, 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 he's proven God. He's told the, the servant to go back seven times because he wouldn't listen. He's shattered. He's at the bottom. Now he's got a choice. Do I give up or press on? Some of you now can be at the bottom of that mountain. The valley. You're in the valley. You see, God told him to go to Horeb. Horeb was Mount Sinai. It's the mountain of God. It's the significance of the presence of God, the meeting place of God where he met Moses. And he tells him to go there. But in between leaving Carmel to Horeb, he's got a problem. He's depressed. He says he wanted his life to be taken away. Some of you today may be feeling a little bit like that. A little bit like giving up because it's a bit difficult. But I want to tell you, you have to press on. The enemy is attacking us, but we need to press on. 1 Peter 5, 8, and I always love this verse, says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You've got to resist the enemy. 
Resist the voices that tell you you're a depressed person. Resist the voices that tell you there's nothing worth living for. Resist the voices in the valley of shadow of death. Because you will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with you. He's with you in the valley. He's with you at the top of the mountain. And he's with you at the bottom of the mountain. Amen? Final thing and I come to finish. So you're all with me now. Number three is this. Change is found in God's presence. You see, change is found in when we persist, we resist, but also in his presence. In fact, actually, if you look at this story and you piece it all together, you'll realize that God himself is calling Elijah to his presence. He's saying, Elijah, I'm going to show you some demonstrations of power. I'm going to get you to places where you feel and hear me speaking to you and birthing things in your heart. But ultimately what you need is against all these things, above all, is my presence. See, you can fight and do lots of things, persist for God. You can resist the devil and fight him and fight with the word of God. But ultimately what God is looking for is you in his presence. And what he does here is he now takes Elijah from this place in the valley to his presence. Hallelujah. James 4, 7 to 8. It sums up the whole message. And I could have just told you this and not preached. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. In other words, submit yourself. What does he do on Mount Carmel? He submits himself. He gets on his knees. Submission to God. The next thing, he resists the enemy. When you submit to God, the enemy always, always attracts the enemy if you bow the knee to Jesus. Because he wants to try and get you to stand back up again. Submission, he brings submission at Mount Carmel. Then in the valley, he has the enemy. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And now when you've done all these things and you've stood firm in the faith, you come near to God and he will come near to you. Hallelujah. That's exciting. You see, I want to tell you today that, you see it come up here, victory in life is not about getting a breakthrough. It's about getting to know the God of your breakthrough. Victory in life is not about getting a breakthrough. I hear so many Christians saying, I'm waiting for my breakthrough. I'm waiting for my breakthrough. So am I. We've all got a breakthrough we need. You ask any person in the cafe downstairs today and every single one of us needs a breakthrough. So anyone who preaches a message on breakthrough, you've always got someone who's going to hear it. Everyone needs a breakthrough. Everyone. No one's got a perfect life. So we all need breakthroughs. But God's saying, I don't want you to concentrate on your breakthrough. I want you to concentrate on getting to know the God of the breakthrough. Because if you know the God of the breakthrough, you won't be caring so much about your breakthrough. Because you'll realize I'm bigger than the breakthroughs. And so many of us sometimes get it the wrong way around. We're saying, God, I'm seeking after my breakthrough. When I get my breakthrough demonstration of power, when you're going to invade my life and do this into my life, then I'm going to serve you even more. God is saying, if you just get to know me. Paul said it in the New Testament. He says, we need to get to know him better. Know Jesus better. What happens next, and I'm coming to a close, I promise, is he resists the devil. And he's, he's now, 
going towards Horeb, the mountain of God. It says this, 1 Kings 19, 7, we read it earlier. Get up and eat, the angel said. Angel of the Lord said to him, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. That's a long way. 40 days, 40 nights he traveled. And the angel said to him, you're going to need strength. Jesus wants us sometimes to cast our burdens upon him. All you are weak and laden, come to me. He wants you to cast off your problems. He wants to take the weight off you because the journey is long between in the valley sometimes. So you need his presence in the valley. When persistence and resistance wears you down, we find strength in God's presence. The angel comes and gives him food and says, come on, it's hard this journey, but we're here to give you strength. God sent those angels. Why? Because he wanted to strengthen him to get him to the place of the presence. He said, come on, keep going. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he reaches Mount Horeb, in otherwise, otherwise known as Mount Sinai. We all know that place where the Ten Commandments are, are given. The burning bush, this place of meeting place with God, where God's voice spoke out to Moses. And let me tell you, you're saying today, well, I ain't going to know mountain to, to hear God's voice. I'll tell you why, because the new covenant says that my sheep hear my voice. The new covenant says you don't have to climb up a mountain. But some of us sometimes need to remember that in the new covenant, we've got to seek his presence still. There's places we need to go to. And Jesus said, you've got to go into the private place. Seek after him. Get into that place. That's your mountain. That's your place of presence where you shut the world outside to spend some time with Jesus. You see, I see a difference between the two mountains. At Mount Carmel... It was a place of demonstration. At Horeb, it was a place of revelation. There's a difference in that. You see, God sometimes comes in drama. He shows himself. But when he speaks, he speaks into the depths of our heart without any drama. I love drama and I love God moving. But there's a difference between Carmel. You see, Elijah had just seen demonstrations. He'd seen fire fall. He'd seen rain come. He'd seen great demonstrations of power. But at this point, he'd not had the voice come and speak into his heart like God wanted him to. So he brings him to Horeb. It signifies that place of, look, son, daughter, you can seek after all the demonstrations. You can seek after all the amazing meetings and the power and God moving. But ultimately, I need you in my presence. Ultimately, I need you to step from that and let what you experience on Sunday determine the way you live with me on Monday to Saturday. So that you come into my presence and you don't wait for your next fix next Sunday. We've got to move from demonstration to revelation sometimes. Amen. And I'll prove it to you here. It says 1 Kings 19. We didn't read this bit earlier, but in verse 11 to 12, and I come to finish with this. It says, 
The Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He's talking now about Horeb. He's talking about the, the mountain of, exper- of experience, this place of meeting. He says this, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. He was used to fire at Carmel. He was used to demonstration at Carmel. He was used to all these things. So when he sees the the ground shaking, fire coming down on the mountain at Horeb, he thinks this is like Carmel. But he says that God's voice was not in the drama. It was in the small whisper. Some of us have got to sometimes set the drama aside and listen for his voice. Some of us have got to say, do you know what? I love God's power, and I love his demonstration, but I want to get into that place of revelation. Because where God wants to bring you is when he brings you to revelation, it will change you. Your perspective will be so changed. It will change you more than any demonstration. Revelation. It says a wind came, tore the mountains, shattered the rocks, earthquake, then a fire. I said this morning, Bob Dylan, he wrote a song many years ago. He said, the answer is blowing in the wind. Let me tell you, friend, it ain't ain't blowing in the wind. It's blowing in God's voice. Because the wind came, but it wasn't God. Drama is one thing, and we love God's hand, but we need to seek his face. We need to seek his face. See, I've had recent battles myself. The worship team want to just come back. Recent battles myself. And challenges where it's drawn me more to the quiet place. And I want to encourage you. I've had some amazing times. In the quiet place, I've had some really, really special times. Where God begins to reveal his voice to me again. And I'm not distracted by all the drama. I want his voice. His simple voice simple voice he's calling you again back to the place of presence when you're tired and weary from persisting and resisting get into his presence as I come to close first chronicles 16 11 says this seek the lord and his strength seek his presence continually seek the lord and his strength Seek his presence continually. Not, not just on times when you really need him, but continually. Let's stand. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, We would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.